0: And wisdom to point them to Him. I'm your host, Bethany Kimsey. Welcome back to The Kitchen Table. Last week we talked about how do we parent with intention when we feel completely overwhelmed. And we're going to continue that conversation a little bit today. But last week we talked about it from the standpoint of you and Jesus. Like just your walk with Jesus. How do you fill your tank with Jesus? How do you understand he is the bread of life for you, the manna for every moment, so that you need to be constantly on the pivot or on the swivel to his word, his truth, seeking him, not holding back, not being ashamed of what you bring to the table that day, the wreckage that you maybe have done that day, but understanding that his posture to you is full of compassion, that he is leaning down and listening, that he wants to bring peace, that he wants to help. He remembers that you are but dust. Like that one to me brings me so much joy. In fact, in my prayer life with the Lord, a lot of times I'm like, God, I am so grateful that you recognize how dusty I am. And yet you died for me. Yet you engaged. You sent forth Christ for me. You Have compassion on me now today. And so last week it was all about you and Jesus. And you've got to catch your breath and you've got to take the pause. And y'all, practically speaking, one more thing as I listened back and realized you've got to surround yourself with truth. You are being flooded from every corner of your world with world. Everything that comes in on your phone, Everything that comes in on the news, everything that comes in and papers from your kids, schools, everything that comes in from other people. Everything, all the information coming at you is world sourced. And so we need, as warriors, if you and I are going to be come, or your mamas, if we're going to understand we are on a battlefield, actively engaging an enemy who is hell bent on destroying you, your children, and your family, if you understand that, and you want to stand up, and you want to have some intention, and yet you're overwhelmed, you're going to have to surround yourself with the word and not the world. And that is active battling. So some of the things that that looks like in my home, it does look like worship music is played all the time inside of my home. I need it. I need it. Again, I talked to confess last week. I can have my quiet time in the morning and I have forgotten it by nine o'clock right after breakfast. It's gone. Can't remember it. Don't have a clue. Some days I'm tired. I don't get up. Don't do it. Some days I say I'm going to do it later. I don't ever get to it. But worship music playing in my home, in my car, in my ears helps, just helps. It it keeps me remembering that Jesus is a part of my life because I can forget. So today though, we're going to be talking about how do we parent intentionally when we feel overwhelmed? Actually talking about with our kids. Last week is us and Jesus this week. It's us and our kids. The phrase that God has written across my heart about this is, um, this phrase of being a student of your child. Um, I have written about this for years. I've taught lots of, um, women's groups. This idea, uh, it's just you know, I think the Lord many, 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 many years ago with some of my first kids just said, Bethany, just study them, just get to know him, be a student of your child. This is your learning ground. And so we're going to talk today about why would we want to be a student of our child versus just a mom who's working with our kids? And how does that change our mindset so that when we feel overwhelmed, we can push pause And reassess. So first, let's push this into or anchor this in the word. Why would it be important? Why would God encourage us to be a student of our children? Well, there's a scripture that I think most of us probably have heard. It may even have been like painted on a wall in your church or um, I don't know. Like you've heard it. And people actually... Uh, misquote it, misrepresent it, and make it a promise in a way that's not really how it's written. So, Proverbs 22 6 is where we're going to start. In Proverbs 22 6, the scripture says, and we probably all know it, but it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So, first of all, the book of Proverbs, it is a book of um, pieces of wisdom. It's written by Solomon. And so this uh, scripture is something that a lot of times you will hear and people say, oh, so if you train up a child about who Jesus is, when they're old, they won't depart from it. And that's the promise. And we kind of misuse it. We misrepresent it because we don't maybe understand the fullness of the meaning. But, meaning. but for today, we're going to look at it and we're going to understand what God was saying with this passage? And why would it be important for us? And where does it actually give us guidance about how to be a student of our child? The word train in the Hebrew means to put something in the mouth, to get something to be tasted. So that picture Right. As we think about feeding our newborns their first few bites of food and it's so exciting and we're so eager to see what how they're going to taste it and what their facial expression is going to be. And it's always so cute when they're like, oh, you know, and that's kind of the wording that is here is put something in the mouth and give it to be tasted. So that's train, train up a child, put something in the mouth so that it could be tasted. So it's this gentle placement, right? Of, of what needs to be eaten in the way he should go in the way he should go. That verb or that verbiage in the Hebrew implies a, that it's not just a broad scape brush of, um, Oh, just go this way. But it is actually the, the way those word, that word is put together or those words, that phrasing is put together, calls for each specific case, taking into account temperament, capacity, inclinations, and character. So it's placing inside of the mouth for a taste according to their character, their temperament, their personality. Um, their inclinations. That's how we are to do this engagement with them. So we're purposefully placing something for them, making it something that they can eat, right? So it's in the, the sizing, the bite sizing that they could eat, true or chew or not chew, depending on, you know, their age. And then, According to who they are individually, it is not a broad brush stroke that, the, that Solomon is saying here. Like, oh, and just tell everybody, tell all your kids about how much Jesus loves them. And when they're old, they'll always believe Jesus loves them. What this means is when I look at my child and I become a student of my child and I begin to take into account how this child relates to the world, how this child sees the world, then I'm going to actually understand what it is I should be feeding that child in that moment and how they would like um, to eat, right? What is going to be what they need in that moment? So practically, how does that play out for me when I look at a child? Well, some of the first things I do, even when my child is just new, newly come home in that first few years of life, but say like your children are up and and they're kind of big and you're like, I've never even thought about that. Well, the first thing I began to understand was none of my kids are the same. And if you have more than one child, your children aren't the same. They don't have the same drives. They don't have the same speed of life. They don't have the same processing skills and and speeds. Nothing is the same. They don't interpret the world the same. You don't interpret the world the same as other people. So why would your children and what that began to crack open this door with me is so parenting doesn't look like the way I was parented because that was in the way I should go. And maybe there were times where maybe, you know, you and I would say, well, I don't know that I was trained up in the way I should go. And according to my temperament, it was according to my mom or my dad's temperament or this or that. Um, so you can kind of even recognize when things aren't helpful, right? But if we're looking into our own homes, into our own families, being sensitive to the fact that you and I carry into our parenting ideas of what we've seen work, whether we've seen it work in our own home when we were growing up, we've seen it work in our friends' homes or we have older siblings and they have, they have kids and they're parenting and we've watched what they've done. Um, there's other ways that you have seen people parent children. And oftentimes we carry that into our own relationship or into our own home. Some of that can be good. But what I'm gonna challenge you to do is to intentionally begin to set, pull off to the side of the trail, like we talked about last week, and say, What does this child need for parenting? Not what do I need as the parent? What makes my life easy? What's the best way I like to communicate? But what does this child need from me in parenting? Because I want to choose to be intentional with this one. And if you have more than one, yes, that does mean that they're going to be unique. And that makes it more of a challenge, makes it a little bit harder I truthfully write these things down. I cannot remember. I cannot keep my kids straight. They wish I could. I mean, and I can like with their their names and like what they like to eat. But when it comes, I do, for me, part of my learning is writing down. And so to write down, this is this child, Lord. Okay, so let's walk through what does this child need? How is this child? What is this child's way that they should go? And so then I begin to write it down and I look at it. So some ideas, some things that I consider with my children, and there are lots. And um, I think I will probably over on Instagram have some conversations about this this week. And you definitely go find them and you'll get more ideas from other moms who are seasoned and um, genius with this. But things that I start with is even when they're babies and then All the way up because I'm constantly reevaluating and looking and being a student of my child. It doesn't stop. I'm looking at their drives, what pleases them and what frustrates them. I'm looking at the speed of their life. What speed do they like to live life? Some of my kids are high speed. That means they are moving from event to event and thing to thing. And they have lots of friends and they engage in lots of things. And other of my children are slow. They have a slower speed and there's too much coming at them. And it's overwhelming and intimidating and um, overstimulating. Well, I as a mom need to understand that difference. And so when we had our first four very back to back to back to back, I had two slow movers and two fast movers in my first four. I am naturally a fast-paced or high-paced person. But I have two low-paced children. I delight in f- high pace. I wanted to go to the park, to the grocery store, to then go, let's go eat at Chick-fil-A. And then, oh, let's go run by so-and-so's house and have fun with them. And then, okay, now let's go take a nap. Oh, you're up from your nap. Let's go play outside. And let's go do this. Do you want to? And I'm pacing at my pace. It worked for two of my kids. They liked it. And two of my kids were stressed out. And I had to learn and intentionally parent a group in a way that worked for all members, because if I can intentionally understand them, then that intentionality intentionality will begin to um, bleed into the way my heart connects with their heart. So speed is important. Communication needs. How do they like to receive information? Some of my children need flower, flowery. Why am I picking words that are hard to say today? They need speech that is, um, full of affirmation and full of encouragement. And some of my kids don't, and they don't want that. They just want the straight up skinny, like tell me what I did wrong. You know, they're not threatened by that. And I've told this story before, but I distinctly remember one of our kids, um, in a Starbucks in New York City, they're they're completely throwing a fit, having a complete meltdown, temper tantrum. And in New York City, that is just not okay. Nobody likes that. Nobody in New York wants to hear kids screaming. And you know, sometimes in the South, people are like, "Oh, bless your heart, you got a screaming kid. It's gonna be all right." But in the North, I mean, in New York City, uh, uh-uh. nobody in that Starbucks at nine o'clock in the morning wants to hear a screaming kid. And I. Had tried all the flowery speech of, hey, let's be quiet. Oh, look over there. Don't you want to be distracted? Could you please be quiet? I love you. You want this? You want that? I mean, nothing, nothing. And I bent down and looked her in the eye and she looked me in the eye and I said, you will stop. No more. Now that is very not the way I parent naturally. So that goes against my communication, how I like to receive communication. I like to receive communication full of affirmations and how you're going to be okay. And it's all wonderful. And we love you anyway, but you need to fix this. She does not. And at two, she did not. She was not receiving that. But when I bent down and I just straight up told her, you're going to stop. And man, I wanted to couch that with, I love you. It's going to be okay. I'm not rejecting you. You just can't be screaming right now. Nobody else likes it. But when I didn't, and when I just said, no more, you will stop. That child literally sucked in a breath like that. And like her eyes went completely dry and there was not another peep out of her. She was done with her temper tantrum because she needed communication That was really straight and to the point it continues to this day. And she will tell you, do not come at me with lots of stuff. Just straight up. Tell me what it is. Now that was not, that was, that was my fourth child. So I'd done a whole different way of communicating with three, but that's what this child needed. So identifying that and being able to parent her even now with the intention and the way that she receives communication best allows my heart to speak with her heart Um, you know with victory so communication okay sin areas is a big one and we talk about this a lot in ages and stages we talk about this a lot in um, the prayer course if you take my prayer course we talk about this a lot a lot but you need to identify the places that your child constantly trips up they will not trip up in 42 different sin areas They won't. I don't care how much you're convinced that your child is the terror of the world. They're not. They have one, two, maybe three. But I would say probably one or two major sin tendencies. That's what I call them. When I'm trying to intentionally look at my kids, I call them a sin tendency between me and the Lord. I'm like, God, show me what my child's struggle is in their flesh. Is it pride? Is it trust? Is it dis- um, Deceit? Is it worry? Is it fear? What is it? Because that underlies everything else. Everything else is symptomatic of an underlying belief system that is founded in lies from the enemy and from their own flesh. But as a mom, if I want to intentionally parent this child, I want to, number one, pray. Pray that they will begin to understand their sin tendencies because when you understand your sin tendencies, you understand your need for a Savior. See, if all you ever understand is that you're pretty good and you're okay, then you don't really need a Savior. You're doing fine. So I have one child who really didn't rock the boat a whole lot in our family dynamics. And she didn't from the very beginning. And she was dreamy to parents. Until the Lord said, Bethany, you've got to intentionally look into her life and understand her heart and the pattern of sin that is present. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what was it? And when I began to identify that, then I could see it in action, not to condemn her, not to shame her and say, oh, look, you look at your sin, but To come alongside of her and have conversations that say, I see where you're struggling and how it has come out like this. And Jesus is there for it. And he came to set you free from it. And you'll hear her testimony in a couple of weeks. We're going to, y'all are going to hear from my girls. You're going to hear her testimony about that very thing. But it required for me an understanding of her that went beyond the fact that she was an easy kid to parent. And thank goodness, because I had three, you know, really hard kids to parent, but she was a dream and almost where I was just grateful. She was just a quiet one who I didn't, didn't, didn't demand a lot. And so I would overlook her and I classified her as good. And she wasn't, we are all sinners. You know, not one of us is righteous. But it was easy. But I needed to parent her intentionally. And that required knowing her heart. And it required time with me and God going, what's her heart? What's going on there? So sin tendencies. See how their flesh is bent. And then understanding that I am parenting this child for the long term. I have an end game in sight. So I'm making short-term decisions based on the end end game where I want to see them see him or her at the end of it all so that may mean that some of my kids have more privileges and more freedoms than other of my children because of maybe their sin tendencies the way they process information the way their heart is bent towards me or away from me the way they um see the world it just it it just depends and it depends season to season so I have notebooks full of notes of being a student for my children of my children where I have titled their name at the top of the notebook and sat down with the Lord and began to replay the last three months four months where is this child What's going on with this child? Where And another thing that in terms of intentionally parenting them is what has changed? So what in the last six months has changed? What has changed for the better? And what has changed for the worse? And is what has changed for the worse because they're just going through a stage of development and so it's natural and normal moving towards independence or moving towards you know, learning, growing, and and we understand it? Or is there something else that I need to be aware of? And it's this constant studying of your children to know them to the best of your ability. Not because I know much, but I know the one who knows everything. And remember we talked last week about Isaiah 40, that it says that he will gently lead those that are with young. It also says that God absolutely knows the hearts and the minds of all of us. He knows it. The Spirit knows it. When I sit then and I pray, I'm literally crying out to God going, You need to show me the things I do not know about this child. The things that I need to know to parent well, to speak intentionally, to care for their heart, and to shepherd them well. What do I need to know? And I can testify, it is amazing what will come in those times when I begin to purposely pray over one child to understand them more, to see their heart more, to see how they process life better, to get eyes of compassion for them, to have eyes that see where mercy needs to be extended and grace needs to fill emptiness and where do they need love. So here's a pretty fresh example. I have a child. He is one of my middle, uh, high school, middle school boys, one of those boys. And as I was praying for him and intentionally asking God to display his heart to me, you know one thing that God said? He said, Bethany, this child needs you to touch him. He needs an arm around his shoulder. He needs a hug started by you. He needs you to come up behind him and rub his shoulders when he's studying and say, how you doing? Not just come up behind him and go, how you doing? But actually like touch him. He needs it. He needs it. I would never have thought of that because several of my kids before that aren't super touchy feelys So, you know, I've kind of gotten into a pattern and this child needs that. He needs that affection that says, I love you. You're growing up, you're getting taller, bigger. And yet, I can still give you a hug. I can still come up and kiss your cheek if you'll let me. Now, don't do that in in public, (laughs) but you know what I mean? And be affectionate, and he needs it. And what I watched is as I began to put that into our relationship again, I watched his heart unfold uh, unfold a little bit more for me, where he was more open, he was more talkative, He was more engaged with me and less um, irritated with me or frustrated with me, which is that preteen and adolescent normal development. That's the normal development, right? In that age, you can see all that moodiness. That's normal. We recognize that as a stage. But what in their heart can allow my heart to still connect with their heart? Like what needs to be there? Well, the thing that God highlighted is this kid needs you to hug him. And so I've watched God use that and make fruit come of it. And relationally, things are much better than they were six months ago. And I have much less moodiness and much less frustration and much less normal teenage angst because communication is good. So um, we want to parent with a long-term vision, with the end game in mind, but asking God to give us these short-term, what do I need to know right now about this child's heart? How do I study this child to know this child? How do I look at them um, academically? What do I need to understand, God, about where this child, where are they struggling academically? Where are they getting it? Where do they feel confident? Where do they feel weak? Because kids are not naturally going to say those things, but in conversations you can pull it out and God can highlight it for you. Where am I going to, what do I need to know about this child behaviorally? What are things that I'm overlooking that I'm not seeing or that I'm blind to, God, that I need to see? Maybe it's that around you, your child acts really great, fine, and everything's great, but they step into friendship roles or they step alone with siblings apart from you and they're mean or they're rude or they're kind of a bully and you're unaware of it. You need to be intentionally saying, Lord, I want to be a student of this child. What do I need to see? And then spiritually looking at them and saying, God, display to me where they are spiritually. Help me understand where they are right now. And that is not for you to go, I'm the worst mom. They're nowhere spiritually or I'm doing pretty great because they're everywhere spiritually. That's not it. It's for you to have this great study session with God over this child. So that you know what they need to learn. And remember when we talked about in ages and stages and that whole long thing, some of our kids can be very young, even though physically they're old, but spiritually they're very young still. And we need to hang out way over there where they are spiritually. So we need to understand where they are spiritually. If they're not even sure God's for them, then it does no good to be talking to them all about having a kingdom vision and serving in church. What do they care? They do not care. They need to understand God is for them. That's a toddler concept in ages and stages. But spiritually speaking, it's not. It's an important concept. And it is a foundational concept to them ever catching hold of the fact that Jesus loves them, that he died for them. And then, then if they catch hold of that, then you can begin having these other conversations about, so what does that mean for your life and ultimately long-term for kingdom living? But it does no good to have kingdom living conversations with a toddler. You just need to know where your child's heart is spiritually and intentionally seek that in a study session with God and write it down. This is your prayer journal. These are the things you're praying over. And then finally, physically, you need to know what your child is physically. You need to know if they're struggling physically with how they view themselves, with how they treat their bodies, with, um, whether or not they, um, are doing things they should not do with their bodies. Y'all, yeah, we are in a culture, and this is just straight talk. We are in a culture; kids are hurting themselves as ways to deal with anxiety and depression. I mean, that's just straight talk. You need to know it. They're going to hide it. You need to know it. It speaks to a heart, but God can give you eyes to see these things. But you cannot be blind to them. You need to be an intentional student of your child. We have kids, boys and girls, struggling with eating because they're desperate to look a certain way and they don't believe they look good enough. We have massive amounts of kids with body dysmorphic concepts about themselves because they do not believe that God made them great. They do not understand who God is and that he doesn't make mistakes. And so we cannot be blind to who they are physically. We want to be intentional So we want to be intentional academically. We want to be intentional behaviorally. We want to be intentional spiritually. We want to be intentional physically. And finally, we want to be intentional socially. And so again, we want to study our child and understand who they are socially. We want to understand where they're struggling socially. And again, these are things that I spend most of my time with the Lord over and in watching I'm not grilling my kids on these things. (laughs) They're not gonna give me those answers. They can be like, I'm fine, mom. Yeah, I got friends. And my friends all treat me great. But their friends may not treat them great. And they may feel alone, they may feel rejected, or they may feel like they're constantly on a treadmill trying to get acceptance. And so we want to see who they really are. And each of your children is different. In the coming weeks, you're going to hear from my three girls. And they're going to talk about the things that they've walked through. And it is going to blow up any bubble that you might believe that I have just done this most amazing job. And I have the most amazing kids. I think I have amazing kids. That's not what I'm saying. But they're going to highlight the fact that this is their faith journey. And I'm letting them share it from their perspective. And it is abundantly evident that they have walked in places and experienced and and things that I missed, that I didn't see. But their testimony, each of these three girls' testimony will be that God was faithful to me. So as you sit and you make your first study session about your child. I want you to understand something. Even if you sit in that study session, you're like, oh my gosh, I've never realized this about this kid. What's going to happen next is the enemy's going to come at you and go, so you're the worst. He's going to layer shame. He's going to layer, he's going to say, so you've wrecked it. You've messed it. All the lies that we've already covered. You've got to go back and listen to those when you do something like this because you're going to feel wrecked if you realize something that you've never known, or you've been treating all your kids the exact same, you didn't know you shouldn't. I mean, this is not to heap condemnation on your head, but the enemy will try to. But this is from this, fo- this moment forward. That's what this kind of a conversation is. This kind of conversation says, so from today on, this is what we're going to be about. We're becoming warrior mamas. And I keep saying that because y'all, we've got to become warriors. And this is how we do it. We live with intentionality, but not because we're overwhelmed, but because we line up our own lives with Christ. And then we sit with him and we say, okay, so I'm going to look at this kid with you. Help me see him. Help me understand him. Help me be a little bit more of a student of him. Get me sensitive to this idea so that when something shifts, something changes, I see it and I can come back to you and go, okay, God, how does that change my prayer life? How does that change the way I interact with him? How does that change what you want him to know? What has shifted? And and you, instead of being overwhelmed in the moments, begin to go, I know what to do. So going back to the child that I think I used at the beginning of this, of that, the five-year-old who's incessantly asking questions question after question, after question, after question. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm a student of that child. And that little guy struggles with the unknown and he struggles with fear. Those are sin tendencies. He struggles with, he has a higher level of anxiety. Some than some of my other children. He has a high level of imagination. Doesn't help those two things kind of work on him a little bit. He is highly inquisitive. He, um, is highly relational, so he goes to someone, though, for help. So the question asking is because he's a highly relational, highly inquisitive, fear-struggling uh, child. So I can hear all these questions about this and this and this and this, and some of them are just informational questions. But then all of a sudden you can you can feel when they shift. So that, if they're just informational questions, what I really begin to think in my head is this child really needs me. He just needs engagement right now. He's seeking relationship. He's highly relationally driven. He needs it. What can I do to change right now to break some of this? Because these questions are beginning to drive me crazy. And instead, give him what he really needs, which is, a, which is connection. So if it's straight up like that, it's just a matter of me stopping and giving that child connection eye content, down on his level, time, reading a book, inputting connection. If the questions, the incessant questions, though, are really based in fear, yes, he needs connection. So the same things still hold true because he's highly relational and he desires connection. So I need to give that to him. But I also need to meet the other thing that I know is a driving issue with him, which is fear. And so I need to be able to, in that moment, drop down, sit, get with him, I help him identify well what's lying underneath that that you're worried about. Okay, let's bring that to the surface. Because remember, the enemy wants it to stay in darkness, so we're going to bring it out. Okay, let's look at it. Let's, let's put that in light of who Jesus is. So that's that's just an example that I used at the beginning. You know, you are given to your kids because you're the one. God chose you. He chose you to love them because he knew you could. He chose you to lead them because he knew that you surrender to him will lead him lead them well. Because you are walking with the one who leads you. Last week we talked about five truths to hold you tight. Go get them. Put them in front of everything that you need to remind yourselves of five core truths and then get really intentional about studying your kids. Get an A on this test. That's how I say to myself. Bethany, get an A here because this is just conversation between me and God. And God does not forsake. He does not disappoint. He will show up for these conversations. I promise you he will. So if you have any questions about this, if you want to reach out and ask me some defining things, something I didn't um, explain well or you don't get or you'd want more information on or if you just need help with it, let me know. You can find me on Instagram and you can find me through email. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When God Breaks Through. If you're wanting to connect with me and with other moms walking in the same messy moments, head over to bethanykimsey.com That's where you'll also find the show notes with any links, as well as more resources you can grab to help you see that when God breaks through, when we see Jesus at work, the fuzzy intersection of real-life mothering and the gospel becomes very clearly defined. We can walk with confidence and purpose. Have a grace-filled day.